Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockman Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. I'm super excited about releasing this episode uh, where I interviewed Lael Wilcox, even though we kind of got cut off with the, uh, the internet stuff. Um, I think it was still pretty good overall. It was a little shorter than I expected, and I think there was a few things at the end I would love to touch on, but that's quite all right. Things happen. Uh, in the time since I interviewed Lael, she raced the Trans-Alaskan Pipeline time trial. It's a, a little event she's developed just to challenge people to to race some pretty remote parts of Alaska, and she crushed it in three days and I forget how many hours, but it was pretty impressive. You can always check that out on her social media. Um, pretty awesome. And now she has just begun. She's just a few days into her attempt to break the record on the Tour Divide. So she's with the borders having opened up, she was able to get up into Canada and get riding south towards New Mexico. So that's really cool. If you're interested in that, you can definitely check her out. Pretty cool. Before we start, I just want to thank the sponsors of the Bike Tour Adventures podcast, Opus Bikes, Redshift Sports, and Seven Mesh Cycling Apparel. Uh, Redshift has actually been kind enough to offer Bike Tour Adventures listeners a 15% discount on all their stuff just by using the code BTA15. So check it out. Maybe you'll uh, you'll be digging some of their, their gear. They make some pretty cool stuff. So yeah, that's it. If you're a supporter of the show with Patreon, once again, I'm really, really thankful for for the contribution you make to keeping the show going. And if you aren't a supporter, it's never too late. You can always sign up at patreon.com slash bike tour adventures and uh, choose a tier that suits you. And um, yeah, we'll make something work and keep trying to produce these episodes, trying to get stuff out. Hopefully uh, you enjoy it. If not, you can always uh, help me out with a one-time donation at chris at bike to adventures.com on PayPal. And or go to whatever podcast app you're using, leave a review, let me know how you think of the podcast, what I could do better, what you like, who anybody you'd like me to interview, that kind of stuff. All right. So that's it for now. Thank you so much. Enjoy this podcast with Leo Wilcox. Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike touring. You'll get insight into various cultures and countries around the world. They'll share fantastic stories of their journey, and through mine and my guest experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike touring and considering going on a tour, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. 
If you're already a bike tourer, I hope my guest stories allow you to relive some of your own experiences and give you a good laugh or two along the way. In the meantime, enjoy the show. In this episode of Bike Tour Adventures, I have the pleasure to interview Lael Wilcox. Lael's a professional ultra-distance adventure cyclist that has achieved so much in just a few short years. From breaking the women's record on the Tour Divide in 2015, coming first overall in the Trans Am bike race in 2016, breaking the women's record on the Baja Divide in 2015 and the men's in 2017, as well as a ton of other races under her belt, Lael has proven to be one of the top female endurance cyclists in the world. And it's with great pleasure that now I've interviewed Ru, and I get to now interview you, Lael. So welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. Thank you. Thanks for the nice intro. Uh, great to be here. So why don't we start with you telling us a bit about yourself in case people don't know who you are. Yeah. So I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska, and I got into biking when I was at university in Washington State. I have never owned a car. I don't know how to drive. So that was my first kind of vehicle uh, to get to and from work and then quickly realized if I could ride to work, I could ride across the city, I could ride across the country. And then, you know, that was exactly what I wanted to do. So after I graduated from college, I started traveling on the bike and then basically like half the year traveling on the bike and then the other half saving money uh, for the next trip. And that was oh, for seven okay. years. Yeah. So what what motivated uh, you guys to bike tour? Yeah. I mean, I'd never really heard of it. You know, it was like at the time with paper directions and flip phones and that kind of stuff um, that I was like, what a cool way to see the country, you know, first the U S and then, um, and then more places, you know, and then going from road touring to, uh, riding dirt, um, and then finding, you know, and then this was like kind of around the same time that route sharing became more common. Okay. Um, what year are we yeah, talking? Yeah. You know, uh, started in 2008, Okay, you know, and then that kind of developed. And I mean, like everything did change with like more like traveling with GPS, more route sharing, more people developing routes. It's like you can, uh, follow somebody's kind of treasure map to really beautiful places. Instead um, of instead using MapQuest. <laughs> yeah. And like just being on main roads. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I, I loved that. I wasn't that into cycling, but I loved the, the mode of travel. Okay. Uh, and then I just kept doing it. I mean, I was originally more of a runner. Uh, so I was like, I'd rather be on foot. Um, but it's easier to carry stuff on a bike. You can get farther. And then it just, I, you know, kind of over time made the transition where the bike really felt like part of me. Um, such a great tool to, to get places. And then while I was traveling, I entered my first race cause I was already riding the route. Okay. Um, and then realized I was good at it. So, uh, that, that changed things. So let's yeah. talk a bit about your original travel days. Um, what did your parents think when you first said, Hey, I'm going to go for, I guess, six months or whatever, and just bike tour. Were they a little like skeptical or was it just a, an Alaskan rite of passage? No, I mean, you know, they didn't know anybody that had done that, but they were like, uh, I think they were, I think we all thought I would just like go for a trip and then afterward, like come back and go to medical school and become a doctor. And so then for like the first, and then, and then I never did okay. uh, for like the first three years of this, my mom was always like, so when are you going to go to medical school? And I was like, I don't know. And I never did. Oh, so, wow. Uh, but so there's, was that the original goal really then supportive. was to be a doctor? And... Yes. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I was like, as a kid, super inspired by doctors without borders. Mm -hmm. uh, we had friends who had like 
done work in Swaziland and I was like, that's so cool. And I still think it's super cool, but, uh, I'd rather ride my bike. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. And, uh, what kind of bike did you use on that first tour? Oh yeah. So, uh, I had a Bianchi road bike from 1982 with steel. It was really, really cool. Cool bike, uh, down tube shifters, no way to mount a rack. So I just had a saddlebag. Um, and then I was like, Oh, I I did my first trip on that. And I loved that bike. And then I, I, for whatever reason, thought I should get a bike where I could carry more stuff. So I traded it for a Surly Long Haul Trucker, and that was a terrible decision. <laughs> uh, I hope Surly's I not listening to this, but <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just going from like this old, like light, fun bike to you know something that's just uh, very functional, but you know, very uh, I don't know, just not. It kind of took the joy of riding out of it. Yeah, it becomes less of like, you can't sprint and do these things. You just ride. Then, it's right? just different. But it's yeah. also, it's like every bike is great. Every bike that rolls is great. But, you know, uh, different bikes are more fun to ride. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So, and yeah. so when you guys had your Surly, you had a like a traditional pannier setup then? and Yeah, I first started with like fully loaded front and rear panniers. But then Everybody you know, the front does. ones were pretty much empty. So I just took them off. And then I just had rear panniers, which I still think is like a, the simplest way to pack. Um, and I, I highly recommend it unless you're getting on rougher stuff because eventually the racks just rattle and, and you know, you lose mm-hmm. bolts. So, uh, but a great way to just be able to throw stuff in a bag and go. Yeah. And I think I hear about a, like a lot of bike tours as they bike tour longer and longer, they kind of go to that fusion model where maybe they have a front roll and rear racks because then they can carry a laptop and all those things as well. And do media where if you don't have the panniers you it's hard to carry a laptop i mean unless you carry a backpack all the time yeah and even that it's like if you're on rough stuff you're gonna break it Mm, that's true i mean it's hard to carry equipment you know and that's that's like kind of a battle that rue deals with is like you don't want to put uh cameras on the bike because if they rattle they break yeah but then carrying them on your back is like a lot of uh a physical, like it's a physical beating too. So it's, that's just, that's just hard. I would love if somebody came up with a great solution for that. Yeah. I think that's why Rue's got the e-bike now too. Right. So that just kind of helps make everything a little more doable when she's trying to keep up with you and carry gear. (laughs) I know. What a hard job. (laughs) Poor woman. (laughs) Um, So your, your Bianchi, I assume had drop bars and then you moved to flat bars with the, long haul trucker or did it keep with the drop bars as well came with drop bars uh and then i rode that bike mostly for like i think uh four years so i had some different versions of it 26 inch wheels drop bar and then a flat bar you know and then it could fit up to like a two inch tire maybe a two two so that was pretty pretty sweet yeah i had it like a little mountain bike set up uh and then from there i got a a uh, 20 inch wheel bike and that thing was awesome cannondale hooligan oh, okay uh and it had disc brakes and it could fit like 2.5 inch tires oh, it was massive. like a little ripper yeah. and I, I you know nobody else wanted this bike so i got it for like 500 bucks and then i was like this is the best because i can pack it in a bag and like take it all over europe mm-hmm. uh so that's what i did and then i was like man this is this is a sweet bike 
Um, so yeah, that was kind of Carlos M. Sousa says greetings from Portugal. So hey, hello Carlos. Um, yeah, I have a bike and Friday. Virginia. Hello, and Virginia. I have a bike Friday folding bike that I use just for when if, if I'm going to fly somewhere and then I can take it in a suitcase. Yeah, yeah it's pretty cool. That's cool. And uh, one of the good things I've got a little advantage. I was in the military reserves when I was younger, so as a Canadian with all Air Canada and WestJet flights, you get free luggage for like four suitcases. So I could just pack this wow, bike in a suitcase sweet. and then throw it on a plane. Freebie. So, yeah, it's yeah. awesome, right? And then you have a bike wherever you want to go. Exactly. So that's pretty cool. So you mentioned that your your tour your original touring, hey, from England, a couple of people. Um, you mentioned that your original tour was um it was like seasonal, right? So you guys were traveling over the winters, I mm-hmm. presume, and then coming back to Alaska in the summers or uh, different places actually. I I uh er, anywhere we kinda ended up I'd get a job. So Key West, Florida, uh Annapolis, Maryland, Tacoma, Washington. Um, I taught English in France for a while. I mean, I've probably worked in like 30 restaurants. I made hummus in near Seattle. Oh, I yeah. like worked farmer's markets. I was a uh, pedicab driver. You know, I was like, I just need a job to save money. So, and then that's a fun way to like get to know other small places too. So I didn't have anything I could just reliably come back to. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, that's a challenge, but it's also exciting. Yeah. I did something similar. I left Canada in 2004 and basically lived around the world for the better part of 15 years, but I wasn't biking much at the time. I was really just drinking and partying and that wasn't <laughs> the healthiest way to enjoy the world. Yeah. That's a good hobby too. <laughs> Yeah. Those were good days though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fun, you know, and then it was super fun and, uh, I mean, and now I get to actually ride year round and that's even better. It's like, I don't mind working. That's exciting too. But it's like, I, then if I'm like working at a restaurant, you know, double shifts, I'm like, when am I going to ride my bike? And then I'm like, I also want to prepare to be good as a racer and, you know, and then also run like girls and women's programs. And there's only so much time in the day. Yeah. You know, so it's like if I can like dedicate my time to bike stuff, then I'm just so happy with that. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. How many countries did you travel to prior, like in your early days before you became an endurance racer, let's say? I mean, I did the bulk of my travel then, you know, to like new places. So 45. Um, but I know there are like so many more and there. I just, you know, of course, I want to go everywhere. Uh yeah. And then since then, you know, I've been to a few new places, but I feel like I dedicate more time to like specific places. Like if I go, like I went for the Silk Road mountain race to Kyrgyzstan, I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I want to be That's there amazing. for like at least six weeks or, okay. you know, we've gone to Switzerland a couple times and spent, you know, six weeks the first time and a month this past time. Just to explore. Yeah. Yeah. Spend a little bit more time, get to know it better. But, you know, of course you could be there for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, do you, you know, and, and, um, do you ever miss the simplicity of just bike touring? I do both. So usually my favorite way to prepare for a race is, uh, to ride the route beforehand. Ah, okay. So, uh, yeah. So then I get to do the tour and then I get to do the race and like have both experiences. 
Before continuing on with the podcast, I just want to thank some of the Bike Tour Adventures sponsors. Bike Tour Adventures is proudly sponsored by Redshift Sports. Founded in 2013 by a team of mechanical engineers who happen to be avid cyclists, they've been focused on creating components that make a meaningful difference to the riding experience, such as the switch aero system, the shock stop suspension system, and the kitchen sink handlebar system. I've been using the dual position seat posts paired with the shock stop stem since 2020 and have nothing but great things to say about their products. Use the checkout code BTA15 on their website to save 15%. Beginning in 2010 with environmental sustainability as a main focal point, Restrap has been in the bag making business for quite some time. Having used a race bag since 2021, I find their holster system and magnetic buckles to be extremely effective and truly unique. Use the checkout code BTAPOD10 to save 10% at checkout. Lastly, named after the animal that roams the Tibetan plateau, Chiru Endurance Bikes was started by Pierre Arnaud Le Magnin in 2009. After noticing the lack of endurance bikes on the market, Pierre used his expertise, know-how, and racing experience to create high-end carbon fiber and titanium bikes for the discerning rider and racer. Thanks, and back to the podcast. Hey, you're back. I figured you had internet (laughs) issues. Yeah, I think I got like a spam call and it kicked me out. Oh, no, that happens. Sorry. So we were just asking what were some of the more memorable countries you've traveled to or biked to? Yeah, I mean, okay, so let's see. Like Kyrgyzstan was awesome. I love Switzerland uh, because we now have dear friends there and it's so beautiful. Um, And I was just thinking about we did a project in Colombia with Conservation International Mm. uh, to make her out to highlight the... um, their water source uh you know and then i just every place is so different and then now it's so fun to go with like the through like a project like something like that where you're like designing a route and then sharing it um with others um where else you know i spent probably i spent like six months in baja california over three years Mm. uh designing the baja divide uh really special place um but yeah, it's, the list goes on. You know, Probably recently I was ends. talking about riding in Israel, and that was a total blast. And that's um, actually exactly where I'm leading into next was your first um, your first big endurance race. And I believe that was Israel, right? Yeah. So I the summer before, I'd actually ridden a 400-mile road race, uh, but it, was, it had to be supported. So that okay. was a qualifier for a race across America. I borrowed my mom's road bike, and then I was like, I don't even know if I can finish. And I there was a time cutoff of 32 hours. Um, and so I was like, well, we'll just go for it. And I finished in 27. And that was like the first time I realized, wow, I could really do this. And then the Israel ride was uh, uh, my first bikepacking race. So self-supported, mountain biking, um, and a lot more fun. And that was in 2015. And what were some of the challenges with that? Uh, how long was the Israel, Israel um, event? It was, I think, like 1,300K, and it's a mix of single track, double track. They're designing like a cross-country trail in Israel, the Israel Bike Trail, which is like a flowy single track trail across the whole country. Um, But the whole, it's not completely finished, so the route like took the parts of that that were finished and then would like route through like the old city of Jerusalem and like all these historical places. So it was such a fun mix of terrain. Um, I mean, that year they had torrential rain, which turned into mud and just like ruined everybody's bikes. So that was a huge challenge. Uh, 
Yeah, but I mean, it was just a lot of fun. Uh, Lisa Naranjo says, you're my hero, Lael. Thanks for inspiring young oh, female writers. You. How amazing That's is that? That's kind. Inspiration and idol, Lael Juan Agub. Um, that's amazing. So what kind of bike did you use on that event? You were using your long haul trucker, weren't Touring you? bike. No, no. no. Okay. I got a 29er. So I okay. had, but it was a $400 Rally XXIX. Oh. Um, so, and it was used. Uh, it had a dead fork. I eventually cracked the frame. Um, that was my first mountain bike. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. And it was awesome. Um, I think I had like 2.2 inch tires and I just had my touring set up. So a sleeping bag that I would pull out and sleep in the dirt, an emergency bivy that I ended up sleeping in under a tree during a rainstorm. Time for a quick interruption to thank some of the bike tour adventure partners. The bike tour adventures podcast is proud to be partnered with Redshift sports founded in 2013 by a team of mechanical engineers who happen to be avid cyclists. They've been focused on creating components that make a meaningful difference to the riding experience, such as the switch aero system, the shock stop suspension system, and the kitchen sink handlebar system. I've been using the dual position seat post paired with the shock stop stem since 2020 and have nothing but great things to say about their products. Beginning in 2010 with environmental sustainability as the main focal point, Restrap has been in the bag making business for quite some time. Having used a race back since 2021, I find their holster system and magnetic buckles to be extremely effective and truly unique. Named after the animals that roamed the Tibetan Plateau, Cheru Endurance Bikes was started by Pierre Arnaud Le Manga in 2009. After noticing a lack of endurance bikes on the market, Pierre used his expertise, know-how, and racing experience to create high-end carbon fiber and titanium bikes for the discerning rider and racer. For discount codes, check out the show notes or go to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast website. Um, was it one of those cool. uh, SOL or SOL ones? Yeah. yeah. Basically a trash bag. Yeah, yeah. It's just a giant uh, potato <laughs> sack, I think, essentially. <laughs> God, they're, they're, they just absorb, like the water doesn't get out. It's just gross when you wake up in the morning, right? Yeah. <laughs> but you're safe. You know, yeah, I guess yeah. that's the main idea. And how did you do on that Israel race? I won the first half mm -hmm. and then we had to restart farther oh. south and I got second in the second half. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it went well. And it was just my first time, you know, kind of being on an adventure like that multi-day. Uh, and I loved it. And did you enjoy every minute of it or was there times where you're like, what have I done? What was I thinking? I mean, there's... uh you know, a lot of pain involved, but I did love it. Uh, at that time I had, I learned a lot. I had friction shifters. I had an eight speed drivetrain. Um, I had mechanical disc brakes. So my hands were really, really beat up by the end. Uh, so I realized it's good to have bar ends. It's good to have, um, maybe a, a like an easier shifting system, but you know, all that stuff costs money too. So, but then, you know, so what I did was I, I flew back to Alaska, got a new bike, like a modern bike, and then a week later started riding down from Anchorage to Banff to the start of the Tour Divide. That was like, yeah, just that long yeah. after? Wow. Yeah. So that was my next step. And then I rode that. So it was something like 3,000 K, 3,500, and then took a week off and then raced the Tour Divide. And did you ride um, the Alaska Highway all the way to the end to um, to uh, Dawson City and then, or Dawson Creek, no. sorry? Before going to Banff? Uh, no. 
I did not. Oh, maybe as far uh, as rode, Jasper, right? And then take uh, the Ice Fields yep. Parkway. And I took the Cassiar Highway. Oh, you took the Cassiar. I rode that last year. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. Yeah. Very beautiful. Uh, but it was my first time connecting Alaska with the lower 48. Uh, mm. I'd never driven it, so we'd always just flown over. So uh, that was a lot of fun. That's really neat. That's an, And that's uh, I only know of two people crazy enough now to... Uh, to ride thousands of kilometers to go to the start of a race. You're one of them. So congratulations. (laughs) Yeah. I I just wanted to see that land. That's a neat way to do it. I mean, you're going to be biking. So you might as well get your into the mindset and frame right away. Right. So the, I guess the Israel race was kind of like the catalyst and then it just kind of built up from there. Right. You went to the great divide and. Yeah. Directly after that. And then I got really sick and, uh, had like severe breathing problems. So Mm -hmm. I actually did it again in August that summer too. Um, so I went back to Alaska, rode to the start again, raced it again. Um, so 2015 was a really big year for me. Uh, but I really got burned out too. was, was it's just a little too much. And experience will dictate that though. Right. Like I think now, you know, you're there and you can figure out, okay, how many events are feasible for a year? How many things can I do? And I think I'm the only person that's ever ridden it twice in a year. Yeah, maybe unless somebody's done like these. I think I forget who it is who's leapfrogged oh, it. Oh, a yo yo. Um, yeah, yo yoed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there is a question that came up later by one of the guests, but I had it here as well. And that's what kind of advice would you give to someone who might be considering their first ultra endurance race? Uh, I would say go for a bike trip. Um, have some fun. Figure out what you like and what you want to do and, and then uh, go from there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Any advice on how to keep a positive mindset as well, I think, while we're at it? Because I know that can be one of the biggest challenges when you're going day after day. Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing is, you know, if we're doing this, we're doing it for ourselves. So you have to kind of recognize that and remember that, you know, nobody's forcing you to do this. So if you're out there, have some fun, enjoy it. Yeah, there are going to be hard moments. But um, if you if you don't want to be there, don't be there. Mm, That makes sense. And, um, so let's talk bikes. I know you are sponsored by specialized and you have quite a few different bikes these days. Um, I have four bikes, four bikes. What are they? Mm -hmm. I have a specialized diverge. So that's a gravel bike. I have a specialized Epic hardtail with drop bars. Uh, so that's a hardtail mountain bike with a drop bar. I have a Epic Evo, which is a full suspension bike. And I have the Athos, which is a road bike. Oh, okay. I was wondering, I didn't know about the road bike. I knew you had the other three. How are their setups different? I guess, like you said, the Epic hardtail you've put with the drop bar system, just mm-hmm. and that's the one I think you typically use on things like the Great Divide mm-hmm. or the Tour Divide, I should say. Yeah. So it's, you know, the thing for me with endurance is that, uh, I mean, the whole Great Divide route is gravel. So, you know, you think you should ride it on a gravel bike, but with endurance, you go through a lot of physical fatigue. And, um, my idea is if I feel less pain, I'll ride faster. So having a suspension fork makes a world of difference. Bigger tires help a lot with comfort. Um, but the drop bar is great for me. I, I raced it twice with a flat bar and I have, um, nerve damage in my hands mm. from that. So the drop bars ergonomically better, um, just to have my hands coming kind of straight out from my sides instead of, uh, kind of that flat hand position. So, less, um, I lose less sensation in my fingers. I'm more comfortable over time. Um, so that's why I chose that setup. Uh, and I love it. 
it's worked out really well. And Sebastian's asking about one buy or two buy. And I, I think I'm kind of interested as well to know on your Evo, or sorry, not your Evo, your Epic Hardtail. Um, is it a one buy or two buy setup? Yeah, I've been running one buy on almost all my bikes since 2015. Okay. Um, much simpler gearing. Also, I stand up a lot. So, you know, I feel like that works for me. Uh, 12 speed, it's it's plenty. Mm. Um, yeah. So, and unless, except for my road bike, which is a double. Oh, is it? Okay. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah just... So that's less, less to think about. It's up or down, you mm-hmm. know, and, um, I'm happy with that. And do you use electronic shifting? Yes. Uh, since 2019. On all the bikes? Uh, actually, or? I, I also raced with electronic shifting for the Trans Am in 2016. Mm. Um, yeah, pretty much. I'm trying to think if any of my bikes have mechanical anymore but i don't think so i think the last one was uh my bike in kyrgyzstan um yeah works great easier on the hands definitely you know over time uh shifting's perfect so i like that but you know it's like whatever bike you have just ride it and have you been fortunate not to have any mechanical issues with your shifting on any of the events or uh I mean, the batteries die, Batteries, you know, the strand batteries seem to last about 500 K. The Shimano ones last more like 800 K. I carry a spare battery. You have to charge it. Uh, but nothing serious, no real problems. And your bikes Mm -hmm. all have dynamos as well or not always, but most of the time, uh, not for technical mountain biking because you're not riding fast enough, um, Mm -hmm. for consistent lighting. And I think, Everything else. My road bike doesn't have it right now because I'm not going to race any more endurance road rides. Uh, I'm not planning on it okay. just for safety issues. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, the, the, I think, as you mentioned, safety issues. The road can be pretty uh, iffy at times, right? Just the, the respect that trucks and drivers give to people. You know, I don't, I don't think anybody wants to get you, but they just don't see you. And the more time you spend riding through the night on, in traffic, the higher the likelihood that you'll get hit. And I've been hit by a car a couple times, um, but not during a race. So, you know, and that's just, that's just a risk that we take, but, uh, by being on quieter roads and dirt roads, uh, the risk is lower. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to stay alive. Yeah. I sold my road bike last year and bought a gravel bike because along the similar lines, I just felt it's, it's nicer to be able to get off the beaten path. Um, mm-hmm. even though I like last summer, I did a huge trip from Vancouver to Whitehorse to Winnipeg and it was on paved roads mostly, but it was, you know, pretty rural mountainous regions. So, mm-hmm. and COVID cool. nobody was driving around. It was good. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, how do you decide which bikes to use for which events? I know that's, um, like you mentioned, it's, mm-hmm. even though the great divide is gravel routes, as you mentioned, it's, it's hard on the body to use a gravel bike that long. Uh, people do it, but. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, my basic rule of thumb is if it's like half pavement, half pretty good gravel, like this time trial coming up in Alaska, uh, I'll go with the gravel bike because, because it's fun to ride. It might be a bit faster. If it's rough dirt, uh, I'll choose the, um, Epic hardtail with the drop bar. And then if it's mountain biking or like really rugged Jeep roads, then I'll go with the full suspension bike. Okay. Um, yeah. And then I'm always trying out different stuff. So, you know, sometimes it's just a test and then I realize it doesn't work out that well. And then I do something different the next time. Mm, makes sense. Um, what is your typical setup on a, the bike for shorter, medium or long distance events? How, and how much does that change? 
I know you just raced the, was it the Arizona trail you just did? Uh, the Hope 1000 in Switzerland. Okay. Oh, sorry. Before that, you did one in the U.S. not too long ago. I did uh, Unbound XL, which Unbound. is in Kansas. Okay. And the Oregon Outback, which is in Oregon. Okay. And the Unbound XL, I think I saw that you had pretty minimal for bags, right? That was quite a short route. Yeah. Quote, so unquote. it was 358 miles um, nonstop. So no sleep. I finished in just under 27 hours. Oh, wow. 10th um, overall, first woman. Okay. And is that, um, that was just more just gravel, right? Or was there yeah. a single track so section? Unbound is the new name for Dirty Kansas. I don't know if you've ever heard mm-hmm. of that. I've heard of it. But it's one of the most popular gravel races in the world. Okay. And now they have an XL version that's uh, 350 miles this year, a little bit longer. But their premier race is 200 miles. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So the XL is self-supported. We started at three in the afternoon. The idea is that you'll ride through the night and then finish sometime the next day. Oh, neat. I like that. Yeah. So no sleep. So no need for much. And it's Kansas, so it's warm. It was humid. It was actually really hot. So the main thing for that was just staying hydrated. Mm -hmm. The Ram was just won by a Canadian woman this year. Yeah, that's super exciting. And I mean, it looks like very few people had the determination to finish it because it was so damn hot. Like. Ooh, I think yeah, I sh- that, that's pretty brutal. Uh, it's just mentally it's different. Weird it year. was a heat wave when I raced the Trans Am. It mm-hmm. hit 106 at least half the day. So that's like 40. Yeah, maybe more. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. It's really hot. I'd have to put it in like the, yeah, it, it was just, but what I would do is just jump in water whenever I saw it. So creeks, spigots, any kind of water I could find, I would just uh, soak my entire body because, you know, you feel like you're going to lose your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just did a, a gravel ride, a big gravel loop here in Ontario. And um, I just saw a guy watering his lawn with a hose or flowers or something. I ran, rode over, jumped off the bike and like, can I just spray myself down? I'm dying. And he was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, what kind of tires do you use? I mean, I guess there's a huge variety, but um, for your gravel bike for this coming event, what are you using on the bike? Yeah, I'm uh, using Glenay Else uh, Oracle Ridge tires. So they're Nobbies 48, 700 by 48, endurance casing. Uh, love them. Yeah. yeah. So for gravel rides, it's usually these, or I use the Fleecer Ridge tires as well, which are 55s. Mm. Um, for the Oregon ride, I use slicks. Uh, so, but generally knobbies. Um, yeah. Okay. Great tires. And uh, just a couple more on bikes. What is your favorite bike that if you just had to jump on a bike to go for a ride, what is your go-to bike? Well, right now I have a Diverge in Alaska, so that's what I'm riding. Okay. Your other bikes are in the U.S. or, or like, yeah, sorry, lower 48? a few in Colorado and I don't know if there are any in Arizona right now, but it's, you know, it's, I try, I've been traveling nonstop since early May. So just making, trying to decide what bike is going to be the best for the next ride. So Mm. this summer I've ridden the Athos, the Epic Evo, the, I've ridden all of them in the past two months for different events. So, but you can't, I can't bring all of them with me all the time. So, uh, happy to be riding this one. And, uh, What's your favorite kind of riding? Do you prefer gravel, rail trail, single track? I really everything. love mixing it up. Uh, I mean, with the you know amount of time I'm spending on these bikes, then once I'm done with the ride, I really look forward to a different style of riding. Mm-hmm. Um, puts my head in a different place. It's different terrain, kind of physically different. And um, I, I 
really look forward to that. Okay. So let's see. After this ride, we're actually doing a bike rafting trip. So oh, nice. I'll be on the same bike, but with uh, pack raft. So that'll definitely kind of change up the feel. And nice. And you're doing that just like you're going to be back in Anchorage and go from there, or is it from uh, up from, north? From Fairbanks. From Fairbanks. Yeah. So it'll be a loop Fairbanks to Eagle. Uh, and then the Yukon River to Circle and then back to Fairbanks. Oh, nice. That's going to be sick. All right. Well, let's talk about the uh, Trans-Alaska Pipeline time trial. Um, I know we haven't really – well, we talked, we touched on a bunch of different races and stuff. But um, what was your goal in creating this time trial? Yeah. So I've ridden this route a couple times already uh, from Dead Horse, Prudhoe Bay to Valdez. Um, and it crosses the state follows the pipeline. You can't actually ride that pipeline access road. So it's the roads that follow it. And, uh, I just, I think it's so beautiful out up there. It's so remote, especially far North. So many animals that I feel like by riding and like setting a competitive time, it'll, uh, encourage more people to just go ride it both for competition, but also just for touring. You know, it's like you do something like this and then people start looking at the possibilities. And a lot of people have ridden this route and, um, and that's great. And I just want more people to like think about riding it because I love Alaska mm. so much. Uh, let's see. And then there was a guy that was planning on um, hosting a race on the route, which I think is a little tricky. Um, the It's only been open since like the late 90s, uh, the Dalton Highway. Mm-hmm. And I feel like and there's still like truckers use it as their transport road. Um, and I feel like a bike race on it might be kind of stressing uh, the resources there. So I think by doing it as a time trial, it's like encouraging people to just take it on themselves without okay. the con- the confines of a race. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, I like that. How yeah. long is it? So it's the whole route is 1300 K just okay. about. Um, yeah. Nice. So hope, hoping to finish in, you know, four or five days, something like that. Okay. You're answering all my questions as I, before I even have to ask them. So it's perfect. And it's going to be completely unsupported. Is Rue going to be with a, uh, an electric bike following along or? Uh, no, but she will have um, a driver with the truck. Okay. So uh, she'll be there um, to document it. And we're making a video for Rafa. Oh, nice. Uh, about the ride. Mm-hmm. All right. And um, let's talk food while racing um, before we go more into route development and stuff. Uh, how? Like, And this is really interesting to me because I've you know, I, I did that. I told you I did that bike packing route, the BT 700. Uh, I'm sure he'll be happy. I mentioned it. Uh, it stands for butter tart 700. So you can imagine it's lots of old nice. cafes selling butter tarts along the way, which is great. Those are really good. Yeah. And, um, so I did that and I did it as a try to hitting the FKT and I hit it by 45 minutes. So that was really cool. And it lasted nice. two days until it got beat, <laughs> but it's okay. I mean, it's, it's the thought, um, the process was fun, but I, I do struggle with like, keeping food down when you're we were working the body so hard so what what advice would you have and what's your kind of go-to food when you're on the road or do you just have an iron stomach oh my gosh it totally depends on where you are you know it's like what's available and some countries are easier than others um for this alaska ride it's tough because there is one cafe two two cafes for the first 500 miles oh wow 800 K. So, and then not even a store, you know, it's like you could get a burger to go if they're open. Uh, so that's going to be really, really hard. I mean, and I toured it too. So touring, it's maybe even harder because you're out there for more days. You need more food. Um, 
yeah, but I'll be eating like trail butter, which is almond butter mixed with stuff. Uh, what else? You know, I, I think I'm going to go to the Eastern European store with Rue today to get some serale, which is like little cheesecake bars. Oh, okay. uh, anything super, super dense, you know, pastries, burritos, blocks of cheese. I mean, anything I can fit on my bike, I'll just be eating it. Uh, yeah. And then I'm sure, you know, by the end, I'll be like, oh, my God, I need more food just because you need so much food to do this stuff. Um, but then, you know, I just raced in Switzerland and I was like, this is heaven for a bikepacking race because there's food everywhere. High quality food. These like beautiful cows with bill, mil, uh, with bells. And then you get like milk chocolate and ice cream and mm. yogurt and every, you know, basically 30 K there's like somewhere you could buy food. There are these like, uh, self-service refrigerators next to farms where you could just like grab a Coke you know, and then leave like some change in a little jar. <laughs> nice. I mean, it's like ideal. So I'm like basically going from one extreme to the other where it's like great food everywhere, no food at all. Uh -huh. um, but basically the, the, the thing for me is like, you just have to keep eating. I do have, uh, I'm working with gnarly nutrition, which is a super cool nutrition company out of Salt Lake city. And, okay. um, and then for me, it's like, they're like, well, we want to help you like, Basically, we know you need to eat because I try to eat something like 10,000 calories a day when I'm racing. They're like, but how can we help you recover? You know, you have to uh, eat regular okay. foods, so mm -hmm. pizza sandwiches. But also like now I have like a vegan protein shake that I can add like a greens mix, which is like tons of greens and vitamins in a powder and then shake it up and drink that. And it doesn't taste um, terrible? Or to is kind it? of round out my diet. It's actually really good. Okay. Uh, so I, I tried this for Switzerland where I had those for before I went to sleep and right when I woke up um, and it made me feel great. So that's mm -hmm. like in addition, I'll have that too uh, alongside, you know, candy bars and whatever else I find. Mm -hmm. What's your go to junk food if you could grab anything in the store? Ooh. Snickers? Uh, <laughs> Snickers, I eat a lot of and then I like, you know, different, hmm, I don't know, milk. Yeah, I saw. I, you know, I see that you you every chug, gas station chug has milk. Milk. Uh, it's hard on the stomach, but it's like really good for the legs. Um, you know, anything like I get really tired of sweets, so mm. anything that tastes somewhat like real food, yeah, uh, is good. You know, yeah, like pastries. That's mm. that's a little better. Okay, yeah, because uh, the candy like just destroys your cheeks eventually, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not really a candy eater. Okay, so yeah. But you just have to keep eating. I, I drank a lot of soda this summer, like a lot of Coke. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, ooh, it's bad, but, you know, you have to, you just have to keep eating. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk root development. I know, actually, you mentioned it earlier about the Baja Divide route. And I think probably many people didn't know you actually were one of the catalysts in the creation of this. And how did the idea come about? Yeah, so... We went and toured in Baja after I did my two time trials on the Tour Divide. Um, and I was exhausted. I just wanted to take a break, get a job, save some money. Um, but my boyfriend at the time was like, well, I've been working all summer. I want to go on a bike trip. So Baja was our uh, compromise. Um, we had already toured down the peninsula on the paved road, which is really beautiful, but it's really narrow. Mm. Um, so we went back with uh, plus tired bikes. So three inch tires. And we were like, cause we had, when we toured the pavement, uh, we were like in 2010 or so we were like seeing all these dirt roads and realizing, wow, it'd be really cool to come back with a mountain bike or a fat bike 
and be able to explore some of these places um, because there's a pretty good network of dirt roads. Um, so we went back just on our own tour and then with paper maps and within a week realized that it was super, super special to be uh, kind of more in the backcountry on these dirt roads, Jeep roads, and um, and then made this plan to design a route and share it with others uh, to like ride down the entire peninsula on dirt. Um, and then that became like a pretty obsessive project over the next three years. Yeah. So this started in the fall of 2015. And then we had the two years, I guess the group start on the route in January of 2017. Wow. Okay. Um, and then I rode an FKT or a FKT attempt on the route in March of 2017. Um, yeah. So I rode the route four times in two years. You didn't get uh, bored of it? 1,700 <laughs> miles. I mean, have you ridden it? No, I want to. It's not, yeah, it's definitely. It's really special. So that was the Baja Divide. And it is really cool. It's uh, it's a desert. It's really remote. People are ranching. But then there's the Pacific Ocean on one side and the Sea of Cortez on the other. And then mm. it just crosses like every major mountain range down the peninsula. Oh, cool. Uh, okay. It's really, really cool. Yeah. So it's really tough too, though. It's definitely a mountain bike route. Yeah. More so than like you could ride a gravel bike on the Tour Divide or the Tour uh, the Great Divide. Right, it's bike much route, rougher but, than the, the yeah. Great Divide. Uh, we designed it to try to hit water as often as possible, but that's definitely the biggest challenge. It's a desert, you know. So for the most part, you see like a water source every eighty k or so, um, which is like a pretty good day's ride. Uh, but then there are a few stretches that are a bit longer than that. And then for tires. Um, you know, a two and a half inch tire or more. Oh, you froze. Oh, the joys of technology. We'll just give her a second. I'm sure she's timed out again. Um, maybe it crashed and we'll re-ask the question. And she got dropped. Well, it looks like that will be the end of the show, the episode, the interview. I know that Lael is on quite a timeline, especially as we were recording this. It was one and a half days before she was going to be flying to the north of Alaska and yeah she's got so many things on her mind and I can get it that dealing with uh, some tech issues and trying to finish recording an episode is not the top priority so hopefully hopefully fingers crossed I can get her back on the show sometime and we can uh, carry on slash talk about the rest of the summer and what adventures she's been on so Really, really appreciated the time. I, I thought it was amazing to, to get some of the history of who she is and how she came to be this fantastic racer that she is. Wishing her all the best as she is currently on the Tour Divide attempting to break Mike Hall's record. So good luck, Lael, and uh, keep on pedaling, everybody. Hey everyone, before we end this podcast, I'd like to tell you about some of Bike Tour Adventures' other amazing partners. I'm very proud to be supported by Brockton Cyclery, a Toronto-based bike shop dedicated to bike touring and bikepacking. Carrying many of the top bike touring and bikepacking brands, I can honestly say that they have helped me to build the most durable and fast bikepacking bike possible. We're also supported by Race Day Fuel. Their mission is to ensure that you consume the very best and appropriate food and beverage for the task at hand. Working with top brands such as Scratch, Noon, and Untapped, they have all your nutrition needs taken care of. For discount codes, check out the show notes or go to the Bike Tour Adventures website. In the next episode of Bike Tour Adventures, 
I'm going to be interviewing Leah Goldstein, a uh, Canadian woman from Vancouver, or sorry, from Vancouver, from British Columbia. I think she's originally from Vancouver, but lives in Vernon. And she has just won the Ram Race Across America, beating all the competitors, cycling through a heat wave, uh, taking on a massive challenge. And we're going to be hearing her story. So tune in next time as well. Ciao and keep on pedaling. Bye-bye. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.